Today on the After the Timeout podcast, we are joined by Coach Quinn McDowell. Coach McDowell is the assistant men's basketball coach at Lehigh University and of RiteHoops.com. It's a great episode to start your thinking for the offseason as Coach McDowell does a tremendous job of simplifying concepts and skills for all levels. All right, so we are joined by Coach Quinn McDowell for this episode. For the opening tip, Coach, we wanted to talk to you, you know, to many coaches that want to help others in the profession, you know, grow as coaches themselves. Obviously, that's a mission of yours. You put out fantastic content. You're one of my personal favorite Twitter followers. So can you just take our listeners through, you know, kind of why you started to do it? You know, what's your goal? Um, and how can they find more information about the things you put out? Yeah, well, thanks. I really appreciate that. Um, it's honestly, it's mostly, <laughs> truthfully, it's a selfish thing for me. Um, I think that the, um, the, the public platform or whether it's Twitter, or, you know, a, a website or, you know, an, e- an email list or whatever, I think anytime you do work in public, um, you're really forced yourself as a coach to kind of clarify uh, the things that you think and that you believe to actually be important. And, you know, are these things that you, if I was on a receiving end of this, would this be something that would actually help me? Would this be something that I would be interested in? Like, those are all, I think, things um, that run through my mind. And especially now as an assistant coach, I think it's, um, it's so important to try and find ways to build your own philosophy um, while uh, being in an environment where you can learn from others. And so that's kind of like a a little bit about the mission behind kind of why I put out what I put out. Um, A lot of times it's just like, um, you know, clarifying what you believe, learning new things, and then trying to figure out uh, if you can help somebody else along the way. Um, I kind of started, I've always had like a love for writing. Um, It's something that kind of had a background in kind of from, you know, when I got my college education and then even when I started playing as a pro and obviously kind of the online space and people that are sharers have, has evolved a lot in the last few years. Um, so, um, but it, it's a cool community to be a part of. Well, coaches, if, if you don't follow coach, he's, he's a phenomenal follow with some great simplified content that I'm going to get into later in the episode that Todd and I'll talk about, but uh, just a little bit, for, you know, as we go forward here, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about Lehigh basketball, uh, you know, some things going on in your program, maybe some some player highlights or uh, some information about your conference, some things you guys do X's and O's wise. Tell, tell our mm-hmm. listeners a little bit about Lehigh. Uh, yeah, Lehigh is a great place. Uh, it's a, I'm very lucky to work with great student athletes that um, really have uh, a great perspective on life and on basketball um, guys that uh, really are, are passionate about being the best um, players that they can be, but also understand at some point uh, they'll do something different with their life in basketball. You know, we have about 10 guys playing professionally overseas right now and in the NBA. Um, so we get guys that come here and, and really want a high level education, um, but at the same time uh, are really, really passionate about working on their craft and want to do it at the highest level for as long as possible. So I think that's a, a cool and unique spot to be in. Uh, consider my fair, so very fortunate. Our head coach has been here 20 years. I'm a guy that I can learn a lot and have learned a lot from. And um, 
you know, and then beyond that, it's just, uh, you know, we probably play in one of the better academic division one academic conferences in the country. Um, so it, there's a unique mix of things here and um, it, it's an exciting time to be a part of Lehigh. And you got a, you got a Chicago guy, you got a Chicago guy, I believe uh, from Notre Dame, right? A couple uh, Chicago guys. Yeah. yeah a couple Evan Chicago Taylor, guys. Yeah. Evan Taylor and Jamero Wilson, uh, both hail from the area. All right. So I, I wanted to, uh, when I was, we we're kind of looking through, uh, your bio, you went to Moeller High School in Cincinnati. Uh, for our listeners who don't know, Moeller High School has tremendous programs in just about everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, w- I wanted to get in with you. Um, and obviously, Coach, you're, you're one of those tremendous players. I mean, you're on the Wikipedia page. So, you know, you got to be, you got <laughs> to be, you got to be rock, you got to be rocking it. Um, <laughs> That's um, to me. And, you know, and I knew it, I, you know, I was a baseball guy growing up. So I kind of heard it through yeah. baseball with you know, Barry Larkin and King Griffey and all that. But now looking back at it, the, uh, can you talk a little bit about like the culture and, and kind of what went on there that made all those programs so successful? Obviously, it's great coaches, great administration, things like that. But it just seems like in all their programs, it's just such high level. Um, you know, success. And that's just hard to do no matter where you are. Hmm. It really is. They've had a sustained run of success, um, you know, over the course of the last, you know, really four or five decades, um, you know, going back to the seventies um, when the, the football program kind of was at the top of the national rankings, you know, across the country in high school football. Um, so there's, there is something special in the water there. I, you know, I, I couldn't have been, asked for a better education before my, you know, education, you know, in college uh, and just the preparation I got there, not only from the coaches, but being around other really high level uh, motivated uh, athletes and men uh, for four years just prepares you in a way that I think maybe a lot of kids don't get at the high school level. You know, our college, our program was run like a college program. And so we watched film and had scouting reports and, you know, had a strength coach and, um, you know, had off season programming and, you know, all that kind of stuff that to the extent that you're allowed to do it, you know, it was run like a college program. We had a, a binder of, you know, and, and speakers come in and like, so when I got to college, it was, it was really something that uh, wasn't a huge, huge culture shock for me because I kind of already been through it. Um, and there's a, there's a standard of excellence that kind of is a common thread throughout you know, Moeller as a school. Um, and there's a, so much pride um, from the people that, you know, came before you. And then obviously, you know, the people that wear the jersey after you. There's a, you know, a quote in our locker room that says, you know, drink the water, but remember who dug the well. Um, and that's kind of a, uh, just a reminder that there's um, been a lot of people that put a lot of hard work to, you know, get the programs where um, they are. And then obviously continuing that tradition is a huge privilege. So then I wanted to transition time to your college grant playing career and your pro playing career. Uh, if you, our listeners look up coach, he, he, he could, he could ball, he, he could get some, he could get some buckets. He's, he's a darn good ball player. Um, but you, you played in a lot of different places. You played in Australia, you played G league. Um, you know, obviously your college career, I think you ended up in Latvia. Um, and we always just find it interesting to hear kind of those stories and, and the path because everybody, everybody's so different, but, they also learn so many things through that through that experience that they take with them. Yeah, I played four years of college basketball uh, at William and Mary. 
down in Virginia and we were in the Clono Conference, one of the better mid-major conferences in the country at the time and competing against, you know, teams like VCU, you know, when Shaka Smart was there and um, Old Dominion had a couple of NBA players um, and Baysmore, George Mason had made a final four run right before I got there with Jim Laranaga. So there were some really high level teams, um, you know, and, and to be honest with you, our program didn't have a, uh, a ton of history success. And so, um, you know, when, when I arrived, you know, we were really trying to, to battle to be kind of in, in contention, you know, within the league. And, um, and I was really proud of some of the steps we were able to take as a program while I was there. Um, and now uh, if you go and look at like my rec, you know, the records that we had during my four years there, we didn't have great years every year, but I was really proud of the culture that we were able to build. And then, uh, and then they finally started getting a little better players once I left and, um, and really started to reel off some, some really impressive seasons and the program's in a great place now. Um, so, uh, and after that, I just, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I wasn't burnt out. I, I continued to have a love for the game and try to carve out a niche as a pro and it's difficult. And even though I scored like 1600 points in college and had a decent career, like it's so, so, so competitive. A part of that is, you know, my position and probably I don't bring quite the, the same level of athleticism as, um, you know, maybe some of the, you know, what some of these programs overseas are looking for, but I was proud of, you know, kind of the way in which I was able to persevere and kind of just like figure it out. You know, I mean, like, like you said, I played in, um, I made an NBA, you know, G league roster. Um, I played in Australia for a few years. I had tryouts with, you know, teams that I never thought I would have a chance to make and, and did well. Um, Spain and Latvia and each of those had their own unique experience and no unique um, kind of place in my development as a person, you know, in my development as a player, um, but the ability to see the world, um, to get those experiences um, is something that I will never trade and that um, was really valuable for me. I think I would have continued playing, um, but I ended up having a bad injury that kind of cut my career short after about four years. So I always kind of find this interesting. This is an interesting follow-up. I just kind of popped up. We've asked a couple of players that have played pro, but what was your like welcome to the pros moment? Like, was there somebody you went up to that was, you're like, oh man, <laughs> they're just kind of giving it to you or, you know, you're like, oh, okay, this is a, this is a whole nother, whole nother level. I think everybody probably uh, kind of has that, has that moment. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, I remember playing Jessica Moscow um, when I was I was in Latvia at a club called Vef Riga, and you know we were part of the VTB league at the time. I don't know if this same league is still around, but Jessica Moscow and you know Kimki and some of the other big clubs out of Russia, you know those they have 20, 25, 30, 40 million dollar budgets, um, payrolls, you know salaries. And I remember playing Jessica Moscow. We were like in the game for half, and then they kind of decided they decided to try the second half and if, for anybody that follows like international basketball like Milo Stila Dosic uh, who's you know had a cup of coffee in the NBA I think at various points but you know probably one of the best point guards in the world outside of the NBA and just an incredible player and he just he just decided to try in the second half and I think we lost by 30 or something like that so you know it's moments like that and um, you know DJ Kennedy I remember playing him the dude is just you know he's as good of a, of a score as there is in the world, you know, but nobody would ever heard of him because he's not an NBA player. Um, so just stuff like that is, is, is really, is really fun and, and cool memories to have. 
those are the those are the great stories. Those are the stories. I think those are the kind of stories that Todd and I really like to hear and share. Um, I, I was going through just for just for fun. You you definitely are on the Muller High School Wikipedia page. <laughs> you are with Ken Griffey Jr. and Barry Larkin and, oh, and that's, Chicago's own yeah. Tom Waddle. So you're up there, Coach. See? <laughs> yeah, that I don't know. That must be a mistake. I mean. <laughs> And I, <laughs> those guys and so many good players, and even recently, you know, within the basketball program, um, you know, Miles Deuce Miles McBride is now with the New York Knicks, um, and um, you know, so there's been a, a kind of a run of NBA players here, um, Jackson Hayes with the New Orleans Pelicans. So those guys were, um, yeah, they've they've really had some 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 really cool athletes come out of that place in the last, um, you know, 30, 40 years. It's been awesome. Well, to, to kind of uh, just go back to, um, and tell me if I'm pronouncing it right, Arit Hoops, is that how you pronounce your Twitter page? Yeah, Arete, Arete um, is kind of the, it, it's it's a strange name, yeah, and that's everybody, a lot of people, you know, pronounce it like that, uh, and that's probably pretty accurate. It actually, you know, you guys asked about my, you know, my history at Moeller High School, um, you know, Arete was kind of like um, a, a key kind of term or phrase for us um, within our basketball program. And really it's just, it's just a Greek word for excellence. And it just means kind of this, uh, just kind of a reference to this idea of like, you know, the daily pursuit of excellence and the habits that you build around, um, you know, what you do and, and who you want to become. And so when I was playing overseas and just kind of messing around with on the internet and all that kind of stuff, I don't know, just kind of that name kind of came to me. So that's kind of like where the, the genesis of the name came, but definitely not the easiest thing to, to pronounce, which probably is bad for marketing, but who knows? Well, so, but I wanted to get into, as I kind of alluded to in the opening tip, you do produce some fantastic graphics that just break, you know, offense and defense and things down in a very simplified form um, that, that makes it easy to understand and kind of easy to think through for coaches. So for you, for our listeners, um, you know, how would you recommend a new coach sits down to kind of decide, hey, this is the system I want to try. This is the mm -hmm. things I want to do. How would you recommend that process starting for maybe a listener who, you know, we have a lot of listeners who are high, high school coaches, first year coaches. What would you say to them? Mm. Yeah, that's a million dollar question um, because, you know, there's, there's so many, like, especially now like I said kind of this this explosion of like kind of this culture of sharing you know which is awesome for the game um and there's so many people out there doing it now that you can come across so many good ideas that a lot of times it can be really hard to sift through like you just see everything in front of you and so and it's it's almost like you're a kid at a candy store and you're like, I like that. And I like that. And, you know, wait, I also really like that. And it can be really difficult, at least, you know, in my experience to just um, kind of figure out like, what are the, what are the things that are going to work for me? You know? And, and so that's, that's kind of like the idea behind, you know, some of the things that I try to put out is just trying to simplify it and help not tell people what to think, but try to help them figure out how to think. Um, and, and so I think that's, I think that skill is more important than really anything else is, is not, is trying to, is knowing how to build your own system because 
you can copy somebody else, but at the end of the day, if you don't really believe it and or understand it, um, then it's not really going to do you any good. I don't think in the long term. You know, you can get some benefit by by copying others, but what if something goes wrong? Well, now do you know how to fix it, or do you know the reason behind the reason? reason why you did that thing in the first place and so that's kind of the idea behind it and and I, like i said at the open selfishly for me it's it's also just a way to kind of like clarify my own thinking so that hopefully one day when i'm a head coach like i think there's so many you know at least guys that i've talked to that um their role as an assistant is so different from being a head coach now you can never totally you can never you know do the job before you do the job i'm not trying to say that i'm just trying to say that it does you know, if you at least start to think in that direction now, then you might have a better chance of kind of um, building something that makes sense to you and to your team at some point in the future. So I think with that frame of mind, with that thinking you actually just said, you know, you began your career, I believe at the D3 level as an assistant. Um, you know, I was a D3 assistant myself. And, and okay. I remember being We're, uh, I was at Dominican University in River Forest, Illinois. Uh, I was on the women. Yeah. Okay. Um, with that frame of mind, um, you know, what were some of the things I remember my first year at the collegiate level? You know, I learned a lot. What were some of the things you learned in that first year of coaching that you still carry with you today? And was there anything that you learned in that first year of coaching that you were like, huh, that kind of surprises me a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I think you learn something new every year if, if you're open to it, you know? And so hopefully there's never a year that goes by that's like, oh man, I didn't really learn anything this year um, because no team is the same, you know? So every team is different and no, no, you know, no, like the way that the year unfolds is never going to be the same. And then, and then you break it down even further, like no game is the same, no single play is the same. So there's so many different, you know, variables within, within building a program and, and building a great team that um, I think the best coaches obviously are the ones that are um, continuous learners and ones that are open to new ideas. And uh, when they settle on something, they at least have an idea of why they settled on that, you know, that thing instead of the other thing. So, but the first guy I got to work for, um, Dave Macedo at Virginia Wesleyan was a guy that, um, you know, had his, had a style all his own a guy that I was super fortunate to kind of get my introduction to, you know, college coaching from um, a guy that was a servant leader a guy that swept the floor every day before practice. Um, a guy that really, you know, put connection with his players uh, as, as one of the highest priorities um, and who was, you know, never like ask you to do something as an assistant that he wouldn't be willing to do himself as a head coach. And so I think that 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 example um, was something that was invaluable to me and just seeing that um, you want to work for a guy like that and you want to work hard for a guy like that. And um, and the and the players, for the most part, like, you know, really, really respected him and not always like I can't say that they always thought he was, you know, right. No player ever does. But they they knew that he had his be their best interest in, at heart. And. And that's why he's been able to be pretty successful. So that was kind of my first introduction to college basketball. All right. So I want you to put on your, your head coaching hat. You, you get to take over a team, uh, you know, tomorrow. Um, and, I, you know, obviously we know personnel and, and all that makes, makes a difference, but you have your perfect fit, your perfect world. What are some things you, you would like to run offensively 
and defensively give it give us a little bit about your style and kind of things you like yeah uh, i mean I, I played in the princeton offense in college uh it was a perfect fit for my skill level or my yeah level that's for sure um it made me a lot better than i was uh and and also just kind of how i thought the game so i think that i would run some kind of version of four round one whether that's like you know, full on Princeton or, um, you know, whether it's kind of like some kind of continuity, you know, ball screen mixed in there, whatever it might be like the four round one spacing um, is probably what I'm most familiar with and just would be able to teach the best. Um, I do think that your offense and defense should be connected. So like whatever you're trying to accomplish offensively should be complemented by your defense and whatever you're trying to, you know, accomplish defensively should be complemented by your offense. And so I think, um, I think that I would probably tend tend to lean towards like more of like a gap pack principles uh, from like a defensive philosophy standpoint. Um, and I think those things can actually work pretty well together. Um, Princeton teams tend to have really long possessions. They tend to, um, you know, they tend to have a you know, multiple actions, multiple sides of the floor um, in the same possession. They tend to try to like, you know, continue to play offense until the defense can make a mistake. And then from a defensive standpoint, I, I do love the the connectedness um, that it takes to be a really good team defensively when you kind of come from that school of thought um, from like a pack pack principles um, kind of kind of philosophy. So that would be those are like general strokes. Obviously, there'd be a million different details that um, would get ironed out or that I would you know adjust or tweak based on like who who, who we can recruit consistently um you know what the other teams in our league are doing uh all that kind of stuff plays into it but at, at the core of it i you know I, i'm a sh like i would be a sharer like from an offensive standpoint like i would not be a heliocentric offense as much as i could possibly do that um now if, if we just get the best players in the league every year then maybe we just simplify it really uh and we just kind of do it that way but most jobs that you get especially as for some head coach aren't those jobs so all right, so let's dig into a little bit of the Princeton actions. Uh, you know, I know I've seen when you're posting about your, I think your seven or eight favorite actions. And in, now you see those actions, even if it's not a true Princeton offense, right? You see those things incorporated in, in, in almost everywhere, right? NBA, where, wherever you go, you see a lot of a lot of that. So maybe go into a little bit of detail about, you know, some of your favorite actions and, and, and you know, how teams can kind of incorporate it, whether they're full Princeton or just, want to have a couple of those concepts and maybe they have a player that could, you know, run, run some of those things within whatever they're doing system-wise. Yeah. There's a couple of like of, I think broader conceptions or like beliefs about the Princeton that maybe aren't totally true. Number one is that it's complicated. I, I don't think it's any more complicated than having guys remember, you know, 25 different like set plays. Uh, I think it actually is probably a lot easier to, to, to run, so I, I basically, I've got a whole course on this and the whole deal, but like I basically break it down into seven like key actions that can all fit together and you can flow seamlessly from one to the other. And so, you know, um, I, could, I could go into those maybe later. I don't know if that's as important as what are, at the end of the day, you know, offense is spacing and spacing is often. So what a lot of the Princeton alignments give you is they give you four round one spacing or five out spacing. They give you the ability, um, you know, so back to my original point, I don't think Princeton is complicated. I think it gives you great spacing. 
And I think it actually can be used. There are a bunch of teams that, across the country that will use it, not because they're just an unbelievable shooting team, but because they actually have guys that are really good off the bounce and they just use the alignments in, in order to kind of, in order to attack the paint off the dribble more than they do, um, you know, just spread you out and shoot it, shoot a ton of threes. And the second thing is that it opens up the entire um, middle of the floor for post-ups. So if you have guards and or bigs that can post up, it's a great offense to get um, to post mismatches, um, to get dribble drives. And then, you know, to, what you commonly think about with the Princeton is to shoot a lot of threes. Um, but that's not necessarily the only thing that you can do. So kind of those, those three tenants, depending on like what your personnel is built for, um, really can, you can adjust the system based uh, to fit kind of what you're trying to accomplish. So I, I find this question interesting, especially with the things you, you put out there, you know, for you, what are some of the mistakes you think coaches maybe make when they're thinking about X's and O's? whether it's maybe you're, they're thinking about too many things. Maybe they, they see all these cool concepts and they keep trying to add. Um, but what are some things you think maybe some coaches make when they're thinking about X's and O's? Um, X's and O's specifically. Um, I, this, is, this is my bias, and I know this is my bias. I don't think you can off, – offensively, you can be great if – unless the offense has um, an advantage from like an instinct, uh, like has, has an instinctual advantage over the defense, meaning that I know where I want to go and what I want to do before the defense actually knows what I, where I want to go and what I want to do. And that's, you know, that, like I said, I, I know that's my bias because that's how I played in college. I knew where to cut, how to read, all these kind of things, um, you know, before the defense knew where I wanted to go. And I had multiple options to do, you know, do this or do that, depending on what the defense was giving me. And so to that point, I think a lot of times coaches don't, they don't get good at anything. They just get mediocre at like a bunch of things. And a lot of times that comes from either overcomplicating it or putting too many things in or putting like the things, the wrong things in that don't fit their personnel or not having the back end skill development to actually like develop those instincts. Like there's a million different ways you can go wrong with it. Um, but I, I think at its core, it's like you want your offense to play um, with freedom, but to play with pace and force. And to do that, you have to develop instincts in your players and whether that's giving them, you know, alignments that they can be confident in and knowing what they want to do and when they're and where they want to do it or if it's just putting them in situations where they know how to make the right reads, um, you know, e either way, I think my point is the same is that um, you have to simplify it to the point and give your players clarity to the point where they're able to play with instinct on the floor. And I think a lot of coaches either a don't think through it enough to like simplify it down enough you know, for the things that they want to work in practice or the, you know, kind of their install, like, you know, the, the install of their offensive concepts and, um, schemes throughout the offseason and throughout the year um, or they just uh, they don't know how to teach it well or they stop practice too much and they try to like micromanage you know teams through sets um, so there's a, like I said there's a million different mistakes but those might be a few all right we and we ask a lot of coaches this but let's you talked about instincts and, and things like that and you know, obviously you have the luxury of, you know, kind of recruiting your players and you can kind of see that and find players that fit, but 
for our younger levels, our, our high school coaches, even our youth coaches, uh, what are some of the things that, that coaches can do to start developing those instincts and, and reading? And, you know, I kind of call it just, just playing basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because at, at some point, you, you got you to gotta just play basketball, whether it's the end of a shot clock, whether it's the defense, you know, you have a game plan, the defense comes out and the other team does something you weren't expecting, Right. You, you have to boil it down to having those instincts and playing basketball. So at the at the younger levels and at the youth levels, you know, in, in through high school, how, how can we start? How what are some things coaches can do to develop those those skills? Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of research kind of that goes into, like, what helps people um, build skill, build skill. And really, at the end of the day, it's it's all so all knowledge is 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 contextual knowledge um so you can't learn outside the context of the thing that you're trying to learn so what i mean by that is that like there's a base level of knowledge that you need to learn and then you have to be put into the situation in order to pick up the cues in order to build the real-time awareness of how to apply that knowledge and that's what we call skill so skill is just the application of the knowledge that you have um, and the fluidity and the speed at which you're able to do it. So, you know, sometimes like, um, like Doug Lamov is a great, um, wrote a great book, like a coach's guide to teaching. And he breaks a lot of this down where he really just talks about how like the best players don't actually move faster. A lot of times they just move sooner or, you know, there's been numerous studies, which like look at, um, you know, grandmasters in chess don't actually have better, like, um, they don't have better memory in general, they have better memory within the specific context of what they've been trained to do. And that's like looking at the game of chess. So they can recall patterns and, you know, pieces on the board and placement. And it's the same thing in the game of basketball. So I think teach, teaching, number one, you have to have a, like a baseline of skill, and you have to continue to improve that skill just through blocked practice, whether that's all handling, dribbling, passing, shooting, but then it has to be put into some kind of basketball game context where decision-making um, is learned and, and repeated over and over and over again. Um, so that's kind of how you, I would reverse engineer it is like, what are the skill or what are the outcomes that you want from a, like, you're talking about a youth level. Okay, I just want our guys, our players who, um, I, wanna, I want them to be, I don't even, so say like in a pick and roll, for example, if we break it down, like in a pick and roll, I want them to be able to recognize whether the um, whether the big defender is hedging, switching, um, or their drop back, right? And then out of those three things, you just give them like three competencies that you want them to be able to do on a hedge, I want them to be able to throw ahead or throw behind, you know, on a... Um, uh, if somebody goes under, I want to, I want to teach how to like rescreen. Right. So, and there's different ways, like there's a million different, you know, scenarios in which, but I'm just using the pick and roll as an example. And then you drill that in practice, whether it's like small sided games or you give them like controlled scrimmages or all that kind of stuff. But that's kind of like how I would mentally process like the kind of the reverse engineering of it um, in, in helping like skill acquisition, skill development. So you mentioned earlier, uh, being connected on the court, right? You were talking about with your pack line and, and things like that. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about helping your team 
being connected on the court, right? For in your situation, right? You're getting players from all different kinds of programs, different terminology from wherever they are. And now you're trying to get them all on the same page with, with your stuff uh, and, and communicate the same way. Uh, you know, a high school setting, you have, you know, you have different players every year. You, you graduate some seniors, you have maybe have a younger team, you know, like with John and I in the girls game, a lot of times maybe you're, you, you tend to bring up a younger player. Um, so what are some things maybe you do or, or suggestions you have for, for helping your team be come connected on the court and, and growing that communication and, and not only on the court, but off the court. Mm. Um, yeah. Connection is huge. Uh, connection on team. You can tell when a team's connected, right? Like there's, there are visible signs of it. So number one, I think it starts with like, spelling out what are the what what if connection is your goal like what are the tangible behaviors that we do repeatedly as a team that exemplify and build connection within our program so whether that's like you know helping people up after they dive on the floor whether that's um you know everybody stands up after they you know that come out of the game whether that's everybody huddles after a dead ball um you know whatever it is like embodied different like different body language things in practice um there's a million different like tangible outcomes that you could um that you could kind of like try to enforce and reinforce with your group um but then from a more like philosophical level i do think that your team needs like some some grounding of like a core identity um within kind of a vision and values uh, a core values kind of a core behaviors and a core purpose like kind of um, framework. So, and usually that comes from the head coach, I guess, maybe at the high school level, sometimes it might come from like the athletic department, you know, I don't know, but um, there has to be, I think some kind of alignment um, and not and the, the more alignment and continuity that there is, especially if you're a head coach at a program and you're there for a number of years, um, the more that I think uh, upperclassmen who have been kind of through, you know, the, the learning process of, you know, what is our core identity and then how does that actually like translate to the court and within our program um, actually help to, you know, teach younger players and newer players that come up um, through the program, you know, at a younger age. And hopefully there's that mentorship that gets passed down from kind of upperclassmen to, to younger classmen. Um, but I do think it has to have something to do with that coach uh, because if you don't actually care about it or believe in it, then they won't either. So, so I, I, I've seen a lot of your graphics about offense and defense and layers and culture. I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about scouting and, and creating scouting reports. And for you, you know, what are some of the elements that are most important in a, in a scouting report that a coach should include? And then, you know, for some coaches, maybe what are some elements that are in scouting reports that let's be honest, may not be that important or kids don't really pay attention to, or, Maybe the kids are paying attention to it and don't really need to be paying attention to it. So kind of take us through your thoughts on, on scouting reports. Yeah. Um, I, I do think every head coach is wired a little differently. So, um, you know, as an assistant, that's you're, you're a little bit subject to like kind of what your head coach believes in and what they uh, think is important and what's not important. I would say, you know, at Lehigh, we're, we're pretty detailed. Um, you know, we don't, we try not to leave any stone unturned. Um, I really believe that the depth and the detail that 
I go into as an assistant is so that I can now make it as clear and as um, as clear as possible, not only to our team, but to our head coach about what, like, what do we need to do to win the game? Like, what do we actually need to do to win the game? What are the two or three things that like, if we do these things, we put ourselves in a great position um, to be successful because, but to get to that place actually takes a ton of work because you actually have to understand the big picture and the nitty gritty details in order to like kind of filter all that stuff out and then kind of present, um, you know, kind of what is like a game plan to either your head coach um, and and obviously to, to your players. So I really try to like, be thematic in my presentations to our team. Um, I really try to, um, and, and that can, those themes can be totally different from week to week. Um, you know, sometimes it might be more of like a culture thing, like, like, you know, a, a toughness and here are the ways that toughness specifically, like you can't let them go right. Like they always want to go right, you know, like on their dribble drives or whatever it is. Um, but like figuring those things out, I think actually it's like a process and it's a, sometimes it's a long process. Um, so I would say like, I'm, I'm pretty thematic in kind of how I think about things because I want, I know that our, for the most part, our guys are not going to remember all the minute details, but if I keep repeating the same themes over and over again for two days or whatever it is that our prep time is heading into a game, then I think that I hopefully give them at least kind of a, I'm priming them for like, hopefully what is, you know, successful uh, execution of like what we're trying to get across. So at the end of the day, like when you get in a game, you're not going to remember most of the stuff you run through unless maybe the coach is calling it out from the sidelines. And obviously we go over key actions and all that kind of stuff. But even then, like if there's a specific play that you really think is really dangerous, we'll go over that. But a lot of times it's just like going over concepts and basic concepts of like, you know, what do they really want to do on offense? Like who, who are they at their core? Like what, what makes them successful and makes them go. Um, and then obviously personnel, I think, I don't, I think personnel is one area that you can actually get really detailed in and that can potentially stick for guys um, because they can take personal national or they can take matchups personally. Um, it's a lot easier to like share. I think guys will review more film on personnel than they will maybe on like a, like a set driven basis, that kind of stuff. Um, so those are a few, few, few things that, that I try to do. You know, you actually just gave me a really interesting idea. What if you just put on the first page of your scouting report, one sentence, how is your team going to be successful that day? I wonder if it would really boil it down for kids. Yeah, yeah. There could be a lot of wisdom in that. You know, I I think we all know that, like, especially now with Synergy and with, you know, whether it's Huddle, uh, like, there's no – everybody knows everything about you, like, from, like, a scouting standpoint – there really are no secrets. Like it actually comes down to execution and like your effort and your energy and your focus and your enthusiasm. And, but where is like specifically those like intangibles directed? Like, and that's, I think your biggest job as a coach is like to get all of that stuff pointing in the right direction. So as we move into our last two segments, the first one we like to call 30 second timeout. As our listeners know, this is basically our platform to let the coaches talk about whatever subject uh, they want to discuss. It can be about basketball. It could be about an organization they're passionate about. It can be about their family, their program. It can basically be about whatever you want to talk about. And as we jokingly say, there's 
no official uh, in your timeout that's going to tell you your 30 seconds is up. So uh, this is kind of your, your, as Todd would sometimes say, dime your dance floor to, to talk about whatever you'd like. <laughs> um, okay, interesting. Um, I would say, let's see here. What's something I would be passionate about? Um, I would say, here, here's a good one especially for anybody that's uh, at the high school level, I would say the special, the specialization, um, early specialization for a lot of kids at the high school level, I think is, I'm not saying that there's never a scenario in which um, that, that isn't the right choice for the kid, but I would say more times than not, um, early specialization will hurt you in the long, in the long run. Now, maybe I, like I said, that's, I'm biased because I played two sports all the way through high school and I think maybe I could have been a little bit better basketball player in the short run if I had only focused on basketball. But I think in the long run, it actually was super beneficial for me um, to both have that mental break and that physical variation in kind of my development and my training um, that ultimately allowed me to have like a, a, a longer career than, um, than maybe a lot of people had expected. So um, that's something I'm thinking about right now is like as my kids are getting older, um and, and starting to play sports and all that kind of stuff and uh, and I think at the high school level I know there's a lot of pressure now like just to just to do one sport and not to miss any workouts and this that and the other and uh, and I know all situations aren't created equal but whenever possible I think that um, you may get a better return on your investment even as a as a head coach in one sport um, if you're able to share if you're able to allow the kids that want to do it um, to do multiple things so um, that may be controversial. I don't know, but that was, that was just kind of like, that's kind of my thoughts on it. <laughs> Before we get in our quick hitters, what was your other sport that you played basketball? Let's see. What was the second one? Soccer. 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 Uh -huh. yeah. Good, yeah, good was... footwork. Good. Uh, definitely good endurance. Uh, we, some of the best players, some of the best players we've had, uh, especially defensively have been uh, at least, at least in my experience have been soccer players. So mm. that, yeah. that's awesome. All right, so our last segment's kind of quick hitters, just kind of rapid fire, random questions. Um, we always say some about basketball, some, some maybe just a little bit off the ball, but that's kind of our kind of our thing. Um, so the first one you mentioned, obviously the Princeton, you, you like that, but I guess we'll tweak it. Um, your favorite, and you can take it out of the college because I'm sure you see a bunch of college, wherever you want to go with it, but your favorite maybe team um whether it be pro it could be college euro overseas whatever um that's that's running maybe a unique system or your favorite kind of system to watch your favorite team to watch mm. um i mean there's so many but i'll get you i'll just give you one that's i've been watching recently a lot it's just colorado state's offense um this yeah. year um, has been you know kind of really fun to watch and just kind of the different mix and matches that they have a lot of, a lot of prints and Princeton principles kind of in their in their philosophy there but um they're able to they've been doing it at a high level this year so that's a cool one so kind of along that note maybe uh a coach that that you think is really good that maybe doesn't get the notoriety or an underrated coach that others may not know about hmm. uh there's a local guy here um at the sales uh the sales university which is a division three school um, Scott Koval um, is a, he's a guy that is a Division three coach here, you know, in the area. There's schools like 10 minutes away from Lehigh. I have a, a lot of connections to his program, and he's actually a William Mary alum. So 
he's a guy that um they're like 13-1 or something like that right now at the Division three level, nationally ranked. So, um, yeah, to sales, uh, Scott Kobel. All right, so you guys are the Mountain Hawks, which, which I like because that's a little bit different than normal Hawks. Mountain Hawks sounds a little bit tougher, right? But uh, you, uh, underrated or like maybe your favorite mascot name for, from a team? Oh, it's got to be the banana slugs, right? That's that's, ah, the, that's a good one. That's a good that's one. The, that's the one that always gets the notoriety yeah. when it, in these kind of questions, right? Yeah, you got the anteaters out there too, you know? Yep, you got the anteaters, yep. yeah. I like that. All right, so we got – what's a pet peeve of yours, Coach? What's, what's a big pet peeve? Um, coaches that stop practice too much to talk too long. <laughs> I like it. A good one. All right, you're, you're in your playing days. Uh, a, a favorite spot or action to get your buckets? Man, I tell you what, I, I averaged like 10 points a game my freshman year, and I want to say at least six were off the back cuts. So, you know, the back cut was just like, I mean, it was just I, the timing of it. If you can get the timing of it, I mean, it's nearly impossible to guard if you have the ability to shoot the ball as well. So, like, you know, you just kind of getting whether that's that elbow catch, you know, from the five man and just, you know, for me, like, and I it's occasionally I'll still prep practice with our guys and I can still get the same shot. I usually don't make it because, you know, I'm a little washed up and everything, but like, um, oh, coach, I don't know about that. He's being as long as, <laughs> as long as you can get a couple of them, man, that defense, yeah. defense is on our heels and it's really tough to guard. We saw some of your stats, coach. I don't know. You probably can still get some buckets. I'm still, yeah, <laughs> I mean, some let's be honest, though. He's a Princeton guy. He was going to say back cut for sure. Absolutely. Well, because I knew that was the only way I could score. I, I wasn't taking anybody off the dribble. So. <laughs> All right. So this is our last one. Absolutely no relation to basketball. But if you had to either listen to the same 10 songs for the rest of your life or – you could only watch the same five movies. What would you choose? Mm, I don't watch many movies, so probably movies. <laughs> okay, that's funny. Yeah, you keep, yeah, that's that's what I would think too, because then you can keep listening to your music. You know, yeah, you got your yeah. favorite movies that you watch, and you'd be okay watching them. And uh, it's, I mean, the best five are probably not going to be too many that are better in the next, you know, whatever fifty years or until I die or whatever. So. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Well, coach, we can't thank you enough for, for jumping on here. Um, awesome stuff. I mean, we obviously love the content you put out and, you know, uh, we, we like always like getting into different, different programs, especially not around this area and, and learning about, you know, what other coaches do. And um, so we can't thank you enough. We appreciate you jumping on tonight. I really appreciate it. Thanks Todd. Thanks Sean. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Plicky. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching after the timeout. We appreciate you listening. 
Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out of the game, and anything in between.